Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is Molly Hudson from The Times. Coming up, we're going to look back on what could prove a decisive Manchester derby and Everton's crazy week. But we start with Brendan Rodgers' irresistible Leicester City. This city aren't going away is the front page of the game today as Jamie Vardy again fires the Foxes to eight points behind the leaders Liverpool and six clear of fading Manchester City. So we are going to start by asking a simple question of can anyone stop Jamie Vardy scoring and Leicester City winning? He's going to turn 33 in January, but he is certainly showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Uh, he scored his in his past eight consecutive league games after finding the net in a 4-1 defeat of Aston Villa on Sunday afternoon. He, of course, currently leads the Premier League goal-scoring charts with 16 goals to his name to fire the Foxes into title contention under Brendan Rodgers. We'll talk about Jamie Vardy in particular in, in just a moment. But on Leicester, are we still not giving Leicester any hope, Molly, of them winning the title? Because it just seems to be always the focus on City and Liverpool. Yeah, I think we're probably underestimating them. Um, I spoke to Peter Schmeichel the other week and mm. he was saying that Leicester are still the most underestimated team in the Premier League. Mm. And he couldn't understand why that that was. And I think now now that maybe City have faltered a little bit, naturally there will be more attention on Leicester being the closest team to Liverpool. And I think um, what's so impressive about Leicester is they can play so many different ways. And I think Gary Jacob mentioned it in his report in, in today's paper about the, the fact that all four of the goals came from um, different strengths of Leicester. You know, we're so used to the counter-attacking Leicester that won the title, but also they play really attractive passing football under Brendan Rodgers now. Um, and they've got, you know, such good individual players that are they're really playing well as a collective. So I think, you know, when you think about it, that Leicester play Liverpool not too far away now, if if Leicester win that and then you're only talking about Liverpool losing one game, then it's only two points, which we know is nothing and then the pressure builds and then we start talking about the fact that Liverpool are going to let this lead go again. So I, I definitely don't think we should be ruling Leicester out at this point. Mm. Why, Gregor, are we discounting Leicester though, it seems? We're just so used and kind of hardwired to, to having Liverpool and Man City kind of fighting out and... 
Also, Liverpool's are just the form is so ominous. You know, they can't. They, they made that. What did they make? Some like seven changes at the weekend, and they, again, they just rolled over the opposition. Um, goals coming from so many different departments. But Leicester, it's, it's remarkable what Brendan Rodgers has done. And as Molly says, they can play in different ways. And, you know, he made a little tweak. He played a midfield diamond at the weekend and uh, went two up front with the Inacho. And, you know, I think those two, those two kind of lining up against Villa's defence and stretching the game and always threatening behind gave room for Madison to play. Um, and, you know, they, were, they overwhelmed them. I think they had 20, 23 shots. Uh, and it could have been six or seven. So they really are looking in, in great shape, Leicester. But I still think it's a step too far for them to. So you are discounting them. them. I am. Yeah, I think. <laughs> look, they, they, when they play Liverpool, that's going to be a huge, a huge game for them. But and they also have the the favour of you know Liverpool have got so many games coming up, and they're just playing once a week, Leicester. So you know they've got time, Brendan Rodgers, to work in the training ground to prepare for the next opponent. Whereas Liverpool are flying here, there and everywhere and chopping and changing their team every week. So they have got all these advantages, but I just still think Liverpool are, are going to be too strong. They're, I think they've won the title already, really. <gasps> really? In December, you're you know, saying we've been that? saying I've been saying for so long, well, I can't write or say after this weekend, it's over. Oh, right. OK. <laughs> Let's talk about the success of, of Leicester. And, and much of that comes down to, to Jamie Vardy. His Premier League goal record now reads 96 goals in 192 games. That's just shy of having an average of a goal every other game. He scored 25 goals in 26 games under Brendan Rodgers. He scored in 11 consecutive Premier League games in Leicester's title-winning season of 2016. That broke Ruud van Nistelrooy's record. So to go on and now break his own record, he has to score in 12 consecutive games. And he'll need to find the net in Leicester's next four games, which are against Norwich, Manchester City, Liverpool and West Ham. Just on Vardy's record then, can we see him breaking it, Molly? I think whether he does or not will go a long way to deciding if Leicester really are in or out of the title race because you look at those four games coming up and particularly Manchester City and Liverpool. If Leicester can get points out of those games, you feel as though it will be Jamie Vardy on the score sheet. You know, when, when Leicester play to their best, it's when he is playing to his best as they are at the moment. And if he can get on the score sheet, you know, the the defence has been so good for Leicester. That's probably something we, we overlook at times. Um so I think if he can get on the score sheet in those two games particularly, then, you know, not only are Leicester more than back in the title race, but, you know, he could, he could go on and break that record. But I think what the art of Vardy now, particularly as he's ageing, is, I think Rogers mentioned it earlier in the season, you you can almost forget about him and then he pops up and you just know that he's going to be clinical with the with the chance that he gets. And the way that the attacking players are in form at Leicester. He does get chances. He will get one or two chances every single game. And in the form he's in at the minute, he's just put them away every time. Mm. And much of that, of that is down to the system that, that Leicester now play with him staying up top and, and not really getting involved in a lot of the build-up play, if, if you like. But just to go back onto what Gregor said about it's Liverpool's title, do you agree with that, Molly? No, I think... Well, Good. I think... <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think Gregor's right in the fact that that Liverpool game is massive. If Liverpool win that game, then I think, yeah, it's over. But I don't think we can say it's over now until after this period. I mean, you look at that, particularly with Norwich and West Ham, both of you have sh- they've shown they can take points off the big teams. They almost do better sometimes against the big teams than they do the little teams. So for a start, they're difficult. 
games anyway, and then Manchester City and Liverpool, if if you get points out of those, then, you know, Leicester are going to be right up there, aren't they? Back on to Jamie Vardy then. Um, he could then break his own goal-scoring record if he is to score in 12 consecutive games. We've mentioned the matches that are to come. If he continues this form, Gregor, and as we mentioned, he is the top scorer right now in the Premier League with 16 goals, would you expect... And I'm going to ask you to put an England hat on, if you don't mind. Forget the uh, Scottish heritage. <laughs> but would you be expecting Gareth Southgate to be making a call to perhaps saying to him, I need you this summer, come out of international retirement, just for a one-off tournament, which essentially is a home tournament this Euro 2020? I don't know. In one sense, you'd think it'd be foolish not to try. Mm. But then it kind of would be stepping away from the sort of ethos that Southgate is is trying to build now and he's always trying to promote the next the next generation almost you know Tammy Abraham's coming through Harry Kane's the captain he's still not going to play I don't think he's going to play so he'd be a, a brilliant option for for the Euros to come off the bench and as you say it's a home tournament he's not going to be you know somewhere another side of the world um, so it, it, I'm sure he'll ask but I don't think I think I think Vardy um He's benefited from the sort of additional rest, and as we've as we said, from kind of tailoring the way he plays, or Brendan Rodgers has tailored it. Mm. He doesn't have to do as much. He used to hear after everyone all for ninety minutes closing down. He doesn't really have to do that anymore. And he's he's ready. He's on the shoulder to pounce when mm. when someone like Madison or Tielemans is just left a little ball over the defence, and he's and he's through on goal. But if he does stay as the Premier League top scorer, if he continues this incredible form that he is on, Molly, won't other countries be looking on and thinking? How can the top scorer in the Premier League be English and not be playing for the England national team? I think Greg was right there where he said about the fact that they Leicester play to his strengths. At Leicester, he's the main man. At England, he wouldn't be the main man. Harry Kane is the main man. He's the captain. He's you know he's playing so well for England that yes, he could get well go on and be the top scorer for Leicester in the Premier League, but that doesn't mean that that would automatically translate into England form. And I think it would be a bit of a shame if he was just a bit part player coming off the bench. Like, uh, I guess it's up to him because, as you say, it's practically a home tournament. And maybe if, if Southgate called him up just for that tournament, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he'd he'd be happy to do that. You know, he's benefited it from, from in the season. He's been fresher. He hasn't, you know... They've had the one game a week. It's made the fact that he's 33 is, is not really relevant because mm. of the way he plays and the way they're playing. Um, but I think if it was just a one-off, then I'm sure he'd be tempted. But I don't know how much impact it would really make on England because he probably wouldn't start. It depends the way he wants to go, Southgate, as well, in that he's got... Well, you know, we're going to talk about whether he's going to take Madison or, or Grealish. That's just one one other position there's so many options in the wide areas as well how many strikers does he take how many people mm. you know are a bit, bit kind of uh, can play in more than one position someone like Marcus Rashford so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of factors at play there but look if he's a top scorer um, what an option he would be to have it just would seem a little bit foolish if you didn't have your top scorer in your team but I understand obviously with England's system again playing one up top it would be very difficult for, for Vardy to dislodge Harry Kane but does that mean then in a way we've wasted Vardy we've never really got to see the best of Vardy in an England shirt well there's Vardy would just be amazed that he ever 
pulled on an England shirt the way his career has, has sort of unf- unfolded. So I wouldn't say that. You know, I think he's he's had a lot of positive moments in uh, in an England shirt. But there are always players down the years who are behind someone, mm. um, and that person is like the the country's talisman almost, and that's the way it is. And you know, you look at people who who didn't play in defence when there was Terry and Ferdinand, or you know, someone like Jamie Jamie Carragher who. It's not quite in the same level, but he went out, went on so many, so many uh, trips with England, and and was called up so many times. He got sick of it, so you can understand. You know, he's getting older, he's got a family, and you can understand his his reaction. And things change, and no one would have seen a thirty three year old Jamie Vardy sort of almost taking it to another level. Um, but Leicester are, are absolutely loving it. Well, let's talk about some other England hopefuls. And you mentioned that we were going to talk about Grealish and, and Madison, two young talents who went to head-to-head at Villa Park. Uh, Madison being the happier of the two, coming away with the three points against Jack Grealish's Villa. Madison laid on two assists in Leicester's 4-1 win. We're yet to sort of see Grealish make it into the England setup. Do we see Madison then getting the nod in the England ranks when it comes to Gareth Southgate's thoughts, Molly? I think probably yes. I think it's difficult because although they're both fairly similar in the way they play and what they provide, what they actually provide for their teams is probably quite different. Grealish is is like the golden boy at Aston Villa. Everything, almost almost everything, good runs through Grealish. Whereas at Leicester, he's thriving in a team of players that are that good, that are, that are up to Madison's level. So I think... Probably Madison has has attracted the attention because he's you know he's done it against the bigger clubs. He's probably been a little bit more consistent. But then actually, when when you look at it and think what Greedish is playing with and the players he's playing around compared to what Madison is playing with, then they are quite equal. And if anything, Greedish is probably worth more to Aston Villa than say Madison is to Leicester. Um, but it seems as though Madison is, has got the edge with Southgate because, as we say, um, Grealish just hasn't been called up, has he? Mm. Does that surprise you, Gregor, that he's not featured yet? After pledging his allegiance? Well, he, a little bit. And Although he was injured in the last... I think he probably would have been called up in the last uh, last international round. Um, and there's not another one until March, I don't believe. So mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if he's continued his form as it is, that he wouldn't, you know, Southgate wouldn't have a look at him and then it's up to him, he'd have to make quite an impression because, you know, Madison isn't a a stonewall certainty, yeah. you know, and now we're looking at Dele Alley coming back into real form. Jesse Lingard even is someone who he's, he's kind of leaned on regularly, Southgate, over, over the years, so, and he's kind of, he was excellent the other day against against City, so um, there's a lot of options, there's a lot, that's the thing, England have some real kind of decisions to be made. And Grealish... I feel like you say that through gritted teeth. No, no. <laughs> a little bit, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they are they're, they are funny. They're very similar. I looked at some of their numbers. And, you know, they've five goals, uh, Madison, four goals, Grealish. Th- uh, three assists, Madison. Four assists, Grealish. Eight goal involvements each. 37 chances created, Madison. 36, Grealish. <laughs> Really, um, nothing between them. The only difference is that Grealish is someone who carries the ball a lot more. You know, Madison's a little bit more off the cuff, and and I don't know. He's he's got a little, I think a little bit more of a spark of creativity, just sort of in a moment. But Grealish is someone who you know he, when he runs with the ball, it looks so effortless, and he would be a he's, he's he's a very different player to any other player England have. It's just I just wonder whether he fits into the 
the kind of system. He's playing from the left for Villa, and he wouldn't do that in in the England team because of the options they have available uh, out wide. So I just don't see where he fits in the picture either. So, uh, like I say, I think if he, he he'll get a chance. I think he'll get a chance, but at the moment, I would be surprised if he goes. So for now, do both of you think really Grealish won't make the Euro twenty twenty squad? Yeah, no. Don't. When when you actually sit there and think of the options, it's, yeah. it's someone like Mason Mount who really impressed yeah. Southgate when he when he got called up. Yeah, that's what you'd need from Grealish if he does get that chance. He's got to be outstanding in that camp to really push himself forward in Southgate's thoughts. Just to add fuel to the fire when it comes to Jamie Vardy, just imagine Vardy and Madison playing together in an England shirt. I mean, that surely is something you need to think about, the combination, the partnership. No? Well, yeah, I mean, it'd be a heck of a strength. But again, it's just doesn't, it's not the way England play. I know, play. it's wishful thinking. It's not the way England play. <laughs> Manchester United upset the odds to claim a famous derby win against City to leave Pep Guardiola admitting that it is simply not realistic to think about catching Liverpool in this season's title race. The defeat leaves City a whopping 14 points off the leaders, Liverpool. So, Gregor, have we just seen United put the final nail in City's coffin this weekend, do you think? Yes. Oh, I mean, you're going to say this because you think the title's done and dusted. I do know, yeah. Um, 14 points, there's no chance. And you look at Liverpool, you look at Liverpool and how relentless they are. Yes, they've got a tough month coming up. I'm sure they will drop some points in this next kind of round of fixtures, but... More than anything, it's actually that City don't look a patch of uh, on the same kind of team that they were mm. at their best in the last couple of seasons. I think there's reasons for that. I think, you know, we've spoken about the personnel. Laporte was a huge miss at the back. But they're not pressing with the same intensity. Um, and any team that's kind of shows enough guile or bravery to try and pass through the lines, they've been very, very uh, vulnerable from the counter-attack this season. Um, you know, I think Fernandinho. We talk about him playing in defence, and he's a makeshift defender. But I think it's almost more important that they've lost him from from the middle of midfield to break up attacks and to commit tactical fouls and things like that. So, um, you know, games games like against Wolves was a classic example where Traore scored from two counter attacks, and I think really that's what we saw against Manchester United. That's Solskjaer's. When when the team are playing at their best, Manchester United, that's their biggest strength. Those attacks with Rashford and James and and Lingard and Martial, Greenwood when he plays, you know. And I think we saw that. That's 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 how Manchester United really were so impressive in the first half. It's interesting. I mean, the omens certainly aren't good for City, Molly. No team in Premier League history has made up a fourteen point gap. And and Gregor there is mentioning the injury to Imeric Laporte. Obviously, they didn't replace Vincent Kompany when he retired. The thing is, we've often lauded City's strength in depth and how we've never really thought there'd be an issue for them. But right now, it this is not a City team that we are used to seeing. It's probably the fact that you almost overlook the strength in depth in attack and you think how, you know, like they could take Bernardo Silva off, for example, and have like a ready-made replacement for him. But in defence, it's never really been the case. And I mean, you you probably look at all of the big teams in that respect, like, yes, they have squad depth, but say Van Dyke gets injured for Liverpool, it's just not the same as, as Van Dijk. Um You have those key players and obviously company 
leaving and then Fernandinho, he, he's getting on anyway. It's almost like that sort of end of an era slowly. And I think that's what's so wonderful about football is the fact that, you know, this this weekend Guardiola said it's not realistic for City to be challenging. When for so often we've sat here and talked about how it's not realistic for other people to, to be challenging City. And it's just the natural turnover of football that nobody can be on top forever. And I think this season is probably that changing of the guard where Liverpool have have gone ahead of them and they've they've probably improved in their strength and depth and they've made the key signings that have um, elevated them to the next level. And then it'll be whether Guardiola stays or goes, it'll be the, the next manager or him coming in and, and making sure they do have that depth and those key players again that are going to push City forward again to... to back in this endless fight to be at the top. I know Gregor has already said this is Liverpool's title. You're not as sh- sure as he is. Are you ruling Manchester City, though, out of this title race? As I mentioned, the Omens aren't good. No team has ever made up that 14-point gap before. Yeah, and I think not only am I ruling them out, I think it it might well play to their advantage. I mean, y- you don't know. When you look at the Champions League, somewhere where they've always kind of suffered when they've been so good in the Premier League, so... Potentially, you know, Guardiola is one of the very, very best managers in the world. If if he can kind of motivate them and push them on and say, right, forget the Premier League now, that's gone. We we've got to go go further than we have before in the Champions League. It could work their advantage because mm. when they are on song and you know maybe Laporte's back or Fernandinho gets back in midfield, we've seen we've seen how good they can be. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I think you have to rule them out of the Premier League though. If though. And we look into a crystal ball and they do win the Champions League. Are you, like me, as a neutral when it comes to these Premier League teams? Uh, I love Pep Guardiola. I enjoy having Pep Guardiola in the Premier League. I think it's fascinating. Obviously, even more so when you have the battle of Guardiola and Klopp. Are you worried, though, that if they were to win the Champions League, Gregor, that we might not see Guardiola after that here? Quite a lot of ifs there. I don't. I mean, I think they've well, got. A long... I like a lot of ifs. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I don't think. I know. I don't think they're going to win the Champions League. Personally, oh, I think goodness. defensively they've they've not they're not strong enough. Uh, well, Laporte comes back in January. He does. That's going to be some positives. That's big, yeah. And I, you know, I, I understand what Molly's saying about you know you can say right, we're not going to win the Premier League. I don't think Guardiola's got that kind of bone in his body. He's relentless. He'll want to. Every single game he wants to go out and win. So, um, I, you know, I think I think City do have a little bit of a an overhaul in, in their sort of on the horizon. He's kind of you know I think he's sort of dampened that idea, but Silva's kind of dipped a little bit, and it's his last season. Mm. Um, Fernandinho is leaving at the end of the season. Rodri has not been. He's we've seen how good a player he is, but he's not the same sort of force defensively in the middle of the park. Um, so I'm not entirely sure he's he is the long term replacement for F- Fernandinho, and they need a back four. Really, they need a left back. They need central defenders. Kyle Walker has been pretty good, but I think uh, Guardiola has his doubts about him as well. So I think there probably is an overall. I think Molly's right. I think there's a kind of a natural cycle for these teams, and whether Guardiola wants to be the man to do that or not is the kind of million dollar question. Well, let's focus on the victorious team from that derby then, the red half of Manchester, Manchester United. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said, we will remember this win after reflecting on the 2-1 victory at the Etihad. Um, And he also referred to Manchester City as the best team in the world. The win means United are now unbeaten in five in the league, including wins 
over Tottenham and now Manchester City. Is this a turning point for United and Solskjaer, Molly, do you think? I think it's difficult because, actually, I think Mourinho said after they'd beaten Tottenham that actually United have done done well against the big teams and they've proven that over the season. So although it feels as though it's come to a head because they played the two in a week and it's such a big momentum shift, actually it's something that's been a pattern of their season. Um, there was a table in the game today that showed a, a table of a kind of the big six, although they replaced Arsenal fans won't be happy with this. <laughs> they replaced Arsenal with Leicester. And Man United are top of that big six table this season. So Arsenal so, was taken out completely from the top Yeah, they've six. gone. They've oh. dipped. But you're right, yeah. M- Manchester United, these are the games that they're at their best because teams come out and attack them. The problem is when teams sit behind the ball and they've got to try and break them down, that's when Manchester United have had, have had their biggest issues. So to say it's a turning point or not, I'm not sure. I think the kind of proof will be in... And Solskjaer spoke about this after the game. The proof will be in how they can do against the lesser teams and how... How they can sort of? Yeah, he said, "Is is it a question of mentality? Who knows? You know, whether it's that or whether it's the sort of tactical, the way they have to approach those games is very different. You know, there's not they've not got the space to utilise their strengths, which is the counter attack. So they've got to find another way to win." It wasn't long ago that uh, there were suggestions that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was two defeats away from the sack, but certainly. Manchester United look reinvigorated and a lot of that comes down to Marcus Rashford who has been very key to the success of the team so far. Paul Hurst writes in the Times that Marcus Rashford comes of age and he can thank Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for that. He is obviously a red through and through Rashford brought up on an anti-city diet. This is what we can read in the game uh, in the Manchester suburb of Withenshaw, which is just five miles from Old Trafford. All his family are diehard United fans. He joined the club's fabled academy at the age of seven and Solskjaer has received plenty of criticism during his year in charge of United, but has been spot on with the treatment of Rashford. That is what Paul Hurst is saying in the game today. What do you make of this change that we've we've seen in Rashford this season? Yeah, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got the best out of him. But I think, again, part of, as always feeling like I'm repeating myself, what we've just said about Manchester United's strengths being against the bigger teams, that's also Rashford's strengths Mm. because he's blisteringly quick on the counter-attack and I think it's he's often struggled when he's against the smaller teams and it feels like the burden of that creative particularly when they haven't had Pogba that's kind of the burden's been on his shoulders and that's where he's probably struggled so actually again against the bigger teams he really thrives in that and I think that's that has coincided with United as well but 100% I think he's he's played his best football under Solskjaer, particularly you know when you compare it to how he was under Mourinho, for example. Solskjaer just bring, brings that confidence out in, in him and you know players like Mason Greenwood even that have, that have excelled under Solskjaer because that pathway is there and because you know it's that traditional Manchester United through and through. Solskjaer really gets that. It's, fun, it's been a funny season for him though. It's not that long ago people were saying you know, he was supposed to be the number nine, the leading, mm. leading the line for Manchester United this season. Yeah. And it didn't really work out, and then people were saying, "Well, you know, he's not—he's not able to kind of carry that weight on his shoulders." And then, as soon as Martial came back and he started playing off the left with him, and it, that stretched the game again, we sort of seen the best of him. And I think probably that is his his best position. I think he realised that as well. So some of it is down to Solskjaer, but also I think the fact that Martial's return has sort of been key, and and it means that uh, Rashford can play in his best position and. And he's thrived from 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 way in the left. Talking about someone that's thriving, Fred 
has been hailed by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, hailed, in fact, as the man of the match in that derby triumph at City. Started his ninth consecutive Premier League match and especially in the last two games against Tottenham and United, he's sort of, well, he's come to the fore, hasn't he? And a lot of people have been so critical of Fred, partly down to the price tag and the fact that last season he spent a lot of it on the bench. But are we now finally starting to see the true worth of Fred? Um, I'll reserve my judgment for a wee while longer. Oh, sure. I think, <laughs> you know, he runs around a lot, and uh, you know, he puts I don't know his if that's foot, meant he, to be a praise on. He puts <laughs> his foot in. Um, that's quite, you know, that's you'd expect that for fifty-two million or whatever it was. I, I'm still not sure. I think, I think it's been important that he's playing alongside someone else who sits as well, like McTominay, mm-hmm. because if that was Pogba and he's sort of the man who's supposed to hold the sort of defensive responsibility in the middle of the field he, that's not him so he's a kind of all action box to box midfielder McTominay can be too but he's got a bit more discipline I think in midfield so that has been important and he, look he has improved there's no doubt about that the two of them together have sort of confounded certainly my expectations um, so yeah he's improved whether it's like <laughs> whether he's a 52 million pound man or not I still remain to be convinced. You are <laughs> reserving your judgment on that one. But based on the last couple of performances for Manchester United, do you think they can challenge for the top four this season, Molly? I think it's too far. Yeah, I think it's difficult to judge again because they've I'm asking you both to judge. <laughs> Stop sitting on the fence. <laughs> they've impressed in this period against big clubs. But now they're gonna go through a period where they haven't got Manchester City and Tottenham to play twice in a week. And actually, it's dropping points in in those other games that will be ultimately the reason why they are on the table, why they haven't been in the in the top four. And I mean, we've we've talked about Leicester, we've talked about Liverpool, and probably Manchester City. You'd you'd still back them to be third. Then you're looking at Tottenham with Mourinho. He's the kind of manager that doesn't like dropping points against the littler teams. So actually, it's it's pretty competitive for that top four again. Mm. Can we also just mention Wan Bissaka? Because it, what a yes. performance that was! It's like I'm not sure I've oh, seen so a one. So you're all right to talk about him, but he runs about. Well, yeah, because he's a fullback, and <laughs> I've never. <laughs> this is the defenders' union. Never seen a one v one performance like that. You know, yeah. blocking crosses, no one got past them really. Um, and I, you know, he he's got aspects of his game to improve going forward, but to, for again, put my England hat on here for Southgate, although briefly. <laughs> uh, Southgate to have the choice between him and Trent Alexander-Arnold such different players but you know that's a decision to be made I think and Alexander-Arnold can transform the way England play going forward but he's, he can sort of switch off a little bit defensively and there's no chance of that one Bissaka so He's uh, the England have got two unbelievable right backs for the next decade there Well this is it I mean first of all Tony Cascarino in the game today in his column also picks out Juan Bissaka he goes as far as to say that he could be the best right back in Europe. Would you say that? Well, defensively, I mean, his numbers have said that. I think you know yeah. the number of tackles he but made. In Europe, and, uh, I get defensively. Yeah, I think the numbers say. It. I don't. I, mm-hmm. The thing is, there's much more to write about these days. In fact, you catch the eye more by being someone who plays like Trent Alexander Arnold or a, a winger, and he was a winger. So I think he has got more to come in that regard. But it's remarkable how. You know, his story, he switched to right back, you know, a few years ago, basically, uh, and performed brilliantly against uh, Wilfred Zaha in, in training. It just kind of shackled him completely and people looked at him and went, hang on a minute, this could be could be something in this. So, 
you know, it made me laugh. Graham Souness always says, he always says, in the sort of analysis, he says, defending's the easiest thing to teach. That's the easiest part of the game to learn. I think it's the opposite. I think, you know, someone who can defend like that, he, he can improve going forward. He can mm. improve. That's an easier part of the game for him to improve, I think. That's kind of a natural talent, the way that he can... He doesn't. He knows when to when to stand up, when to dive in, and when to use his spider legs. So he's. But is <laughs> he's that? I suppose that the, the only negative in, in Trent Alexander Arnold's game is that perhaps he's not as good defensively as Absolutely. he is going forward. Absolutely, yeah. There's been moments where we've seen, and partly it's because he's he's such a threat attacking wise, but he balls over and behind him have, have often been punished, and sometimes he doesn't show quite the same level of desire and intent to get back as as he does to get forward and, and get in that cross. So that's been highlighted a couple of occasions. But, you know, as I say, England have got two of the best right backs around there for the next 10 years. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What a week it has been for Everton. Marco Silva sacked, leaving cult hero Duncan Ferguson to take interim charge at home to Chelsea. And what a start to his time in charge. A famous 3-1 win with Ferguson's pride and passion clear to see on the touchline as it shaped the atmosphere at Goodison Park. Ferguson's been a background figure at Everton in recent years on the support staff of four managers who ended up being dismissed. But when Richarlison headed Everton in front after only four minutes, Ferguson showed a neat turn of speed in his smart shoes as he flew down the touchline. And when Dominic Calvert-Lewin then made it 2-0 just after half-time, the 47-year-old set off in one direction before turning and picking up and swinging around a celebrating ball boy. I I guess if anyone... Uh, encompasses the passion of Everton. It, it was Duncan Ferguson at the weekend, Gregor. Love to see it. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> Great <laughs> scenes. Um, yeah, he kind of he absolutely seemed to reinvigorate the club. Yeah, just that, just his presence and his sort of passion. And you know, from what I hear, even his kind of match match day programs uh, notes were just saying those words: passion, desire. You know, tackling, running, that kind of thing. 
and that's what they did. They kind of went back to basics. They went four four two, um, and you know, there's that stat they made thirty seven tackles, which is the most they made all season. In fact, the most it, the most any clubs made all season, and yeah. the most they've made in a decade. Um, and you know, it, it's good to see the kind of the youth, the the players that have come through the academy sort of thriving. And I think I think Mason Holgate looked like he had a really good game. He's had a difficult time of late. Uh, Davis as well and Calvert-Lewin as we say he's a big fan of him actually he's a you know works his socks off intelligent movement but he's just getting the goals you know um, and he got he got his goals and, and uh, he seemed to be really pleased to have done it on, on that day as well How impressive were Everton on Saturday Molly? They were so good they were like a different team to the Everton we've been watching all season yeah. and it's it sounds so simple that they just run harder run faster put more tackles in but I think Frank Lampard said after the game, Chelsea knew it was coming. They knew exactly what to expect, but they couldn't do anything about it. And that was what was so good. They the the crowd really got behind them, and that made that made a big difference because again, that's something that when you're in such a a rut of form and the confidence is low, that's really difficult. And the players all completely brought into it, and you could see that. And I think it it brought out the players that that do have that potential. I mean, Richarlison's been there or thereabouts despite the fact that Everton have been really poor this season and I think that's the positive it's just what do they do next where do they go from here you know I'm sure Paul will tell us who who they think will will be brought in but just that basic level of of desire and and playing with commitment is is such a big part still of modern football despite all of the millions of pounds thrown in. We mentioned Paul, that is the Times' is Paul Joyce. He was at Goodison Park. He joins us now as well. Um, Paul, we often talk about the, the new manager bounce, but when there's a club legend uh, in charge, that just brings a whole new atmosphere, doesn't it, to, to somewhere like Everton? Yeah, I think so. It was a, it was a sort of throwback, really, on, on Saturday and, and so at odds with, with what had been in the, the previous home game against Norwich just a couple of weeks ago. Then the Marco Silva had said that the players were too afraid to play to play football, meaning that the crowd was sort of you know there was a, an atmosphere within the crowd that wasn't conducive to to them playing. But I mean Ferguson sort of way he conducted himself, the way he sort of whipped up the crowd, sort of got them on side straight away. The early goal obviously helped, and and it was just a totally different scenario to what what we'd seen at Goodison so far this season. But I think as well as the sort of pride and passion, I think it was quite interesting that he made sort of some tactical tweaks as well. It wasn't just all about a rallying call in, in the dressing room. He backed that up with switching to four four two. It was sort of, a, I suppose, in a way, then a, a back to basics for Everton and, and with Duncan Ferguson. Like you say, going back to that four four two, it proved fruitful in the end with them getting that 3-1 victory. Are, are Evertonians clamouring for, for Ferguson now to get the job? I think... He's bought the the board a little bit of time to conduct the search thoroughly and, and properly. I think they're going to see quite a lot of people. I think there's quite a long shortlist, and and I think what the victory at the weekend's done is sort of taken away the sort of need to rush that decision through. You know, it would if you're the Everton board, it would be you know probably in their interest to see if that new managerial bounce can can be replicated at Manchester United next Sunday. The question will be whether the, whether they can do that in back-to-back games. But if they do and they, and they do play well, then I think there will be a clamour. There'll start to be a clamour for him to get the job because the other people who are, who are being mentioned 
maybe have positives but also negatives against the name as well so there's the, the trouble with Everton's managerial searches in recent seasons is that there's never been one outstanding candidate when they've been looking for managers there's always been an element of risk to who, who they've appointed and, and I think you know people like Vitor Pereira who who is one of the leading candidates at the moment, was interviewed in 2013 for the job overlooked, has been impressive by all accounts in, in what he said to Everton, but he's never coached in the Premier League before. Yeah, as you mentioned, it is a long list of candidates. Uh, Pereira, as you've mentioned, there's also suggestions of Maurizio Pochettino, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Leonardo Jardim, uh, David Moyes as well as uh, Marcelino. I mean, there's a whole host of names being linked to it. But as, yeah. it, as it is, it is Duncan Ferguson who is in charge for now. And tell us about this interesting article that you've written in the game today about a watch that he was wearing, because this is, this is really... Um, how can I put it? Yeah, it was a re- really nice, sweet, isn't it? It's really a sweet nice story. story. Yeah, really nice story that 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 Duncan. He was asked about the sweatband that he wore on his mm. left wrist, and then and and he says he wears that on match days all the time. But obviously, we don't see him on the touchline usually. And then he said he just volunteered the story. He was very close to Howard Kendall, played under him in ninety seven, ninety eight, and then was close to him socially. Became a Close friend of his looked up to him, and yeah, Howard Kendall's widow recognised their friendship and went to Duncan's house on Saturday morning to to pass on a watch that Howard used to have to Duncan's wife for him to wear at the him to wear at the match, and it was just one of those sort of little sort of anecdotes that that just completed the the weekend for Everton in a way. Obviously, the the club's greatest ever manager in Howard Kendall and. and you know this rookie who got the crowd going like the old days so it was a nice piece of symmetry between the the two of them uh, and just lastly on on the watch itself i'm right in thinking it it doesn't actually work paul no he said it didn't work so <laughs> no it's just it was just one of those i think it's nice for everton fans to hear that there is still mm, that sort of yeah. link between a current coach and and the manager in the past it seemed like that story seemed like the perfect way for Everton to end the the sort of Saturday when when Duncan revealed that. So mm. at the moment he, he's back into training tomorrow to lead the team tomorrow. And if there isn't a manager found in the next few days, you know he, he'll be tasked with sort of repeating that level of performance against Old Trafford, which will be difficult. But he was even on Saturday he was very sort of clear that it was just one game and and that. This was the standard that the, that the team must aspire to every week now, and there's going to be a lot of onus on the players. They've done this once, you know. They've shown there's no reason why they why they can't, you know, tackle more and run further than they have done at any time this season. So they're in the spotlight as well as everybody else at the club now. Now in the game today, our very own Gregor has written a piece on Europe's most lethal forward. He'll be welcoming Liverpool tomorrow night in the Champions League. Uh, that forward we are talking about is Erling Haaland, who has scored a remarkable 28 goals in 21 games for the Austrian champions RB Salzburg. He is the son of former Leeds midfielder Alf Inge Haaland. He's taken the world by storm as a six foot four striker at the age of just 19. Is he Europe's hottest young property, Gregor, from what you've uh, worked out and discovered? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to have every every sort of leading European club bidding for him in the next, it could be next next month or it could be in this. I think Salzburg really want to hold on to him until 
until the summer if possible. But Manchester United have obviously been linked very strongly with him as well because he played for uh, Mould in Norway, who were then managed by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, so there's that link. Um, but I, I spent a, a few hours watching his kind of his clips and his his match action for this piece, and it's one of these kind of players where it's quite rare. You you your your eyes widen and you sort of a big smile spreads across your face when some of the play is kind of he's so big and dynamic and he almost looks like he's out of control he almost looks like he's not in control right which is so disconcerting for defenders i couldn't imagine playing against them and he's very hard to pigeonhole because he's like so we said being, being six foot four he's not a target man well he, he is but he's not he is okay. he, can, he could he's brilliant at holding the ball up and spinning up spinning his marker okay but he loves to drop deep and get on the half turn and run at the back four he loves to drift wide to, often to the left wing because he's left footed and and take on defenders and he's a thrilling sight at full pace he's just um yeah like i say he's very hard to compare to anyone he has been compared to to zlatan ibrahimovic because the two are scandinavians they're tall and he's also got a bit of the same sort of ego he's kind of quite really? he's quite he's not he's not short of self-confidence um, which is understandable when he's he's that good and he's 19 and he scored a hat-trick in his first Champions League game against Genk. He scored eight Champions League goals at a rate of one every 37 minutes. Only uh, Robert Lewandowski has scored more. And as you say, 28 goals in 21 games. Only five teams, I think, five games a season he's not scored in and, and he was on the bench and a couple of them rested. So Liverpool are definitely going to have to be aware. This is a potential banana skin for them. They have to get points. Salzburg can still go through and they're going to have to try and shackle him. It's obviously Van Dijk will be a key, that'll be mm. a key battle, it'll be fascinating, but he's so strong. But you're saying that he plays all over, it feels like. Uh, obviously, it seems like he's been given a free free role to play for RB Salzburg. So how on earth do you defend against someone like that that you actually don't know what they're going to do? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. He's... <laughs> He does. He does roam, and often, like I say, he often roams wide. And if he gets turned and he runs at the defence, it's it's like eye opening. He's because he's so big and he's got such huge strides. I wrote in the piece that he almost looks like he's playing at a different speed. It looks like he's he's the grown up amongst like a bunch of school children running after him because he's such a giant. <laughs> and like I say, he's sort of all arms and legs, and looks like he's still not really grown into his frame. He has, and he's uh, and he's uh, he's some proposition. So um, he's also he, he, his father Alfinga Halland was um, played for Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, mm. um, and Manchester City, and famously was on the receiving end of a fairly brutal challenge by by Roy Keane um, uh, in a in a Manchester derby. But he's kind of guiding his son's career. I think he could have signed for Juventus back in twenty twenty eighteen when he left Mould for uh, for Salzburg. But they saw that he was more likely to get first team opportunities, and that's been proved the case. But uh, you know that might he could get a move to the a super to Real Madrid to anyone. But it's still a possibility that he might think I'm not ready for that and I want to. One one possibility is is Leipzig. Obviously, Salzburg's uh, kind of brother club um mm. who would be a step up step up to the german bundesliga from from the austrian bundesliga and i'm sure he would play there as well so it's going to be fascinating i think really 
every club in Europe, every major club in Europe will be clamouring for him. He looks to be the next big thing, the next sort of world sensation, perhaps. Well, you mentioned in your article that there are there is a release clause of, what, around €20 million, Euros, which is around £17 million? Pounds and that's been reported, yeah. yeah. And obviously that would throw the cat among the pigeons. Anyone could, mm. almost anyone could afford that. But do that. you think he could actually make the step up to, say, the Premier League, from what you've witnessed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's... Like I say, he's such a such a physical force of nature that he would be ready to cope. He throws shrugs people aside, and like I say, and for a nineteen year old, it just seems. I think Mo, that Moldy called him the man child, which sort of <laughs> is very fitting. Um, so undoubtedly, yeah, it's just whether. And he's also he's also a Leeds fan. He says that the dream is to play is to win the Premier League with Leeds. Oh. So you know, who knows? He might wait until Bielsa gets promoted and maybe. So Liverpool should be worried ahead of this final group game fixture for them. In simple terms, Liverpool will progress with a draw or with a defeat if Napoli lose at home to Genk, which we're probably ruling out because Genk haven't yet won in this uh, season's Champions League. Obviously, if Liverpool win, they are through regardless. But are we surprised that we are coming down to the last group game and Liverpool haven't yet qualified for the knockout stages, Molly? I think it's one of those where we've seen throughout the season in whatever competition it is, Liverpool have that capacity to concede <laughs> goals. <laughs> um, they've just scored more than they've conceded. And I think the, there's no better representation of that than the last time these two teams played each other. You know, it was a 4-3. Yeah. It just proves that Salzburg can score against Liverpool. Mm. Um and that's something that they have to be worried about because Salzburg have to win this game pretty much. So they're going to be going all guns blazing to try and get this victory. And that means that Liverpool, yes, it plays into their hands in the counter-attack. But, you know, we've been we've been saying all podcast about all these games that are coming up for Liverpool. Obviously, Klopp's been choosing to rest certain players in certain games. So it'll be really interesting what he actually does for this game because it is so important that they do progress, but they also know how dangerous Salzburg are, and I'm sure they'll have done the same kind of background research on Haaland as Gregor has. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, if they haven't, they'll I be studying so, his article. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. But yeah, you mentioned that 4-3 result for Liverpool. That was at Anfield, and it was all looking really comfortable for Liverpool because they were 3-0 up, 3-1 up then at half-time. Um, but then Salzburg fought back and it was um, ended up being a 4-3 win in the end for Liverpool with Mo Salah getting the winner in the 69th minute. But as I say, that was at Anfield. They now have to go to Salzburg, which makes it a little bit more trickier, doesn't it, Gregor? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be a, an easy walkover by any means. I remember as well, before that game, I think I think it was Joyce who did an interview with Jesse Marsh, the manager, and he said that we're like Liverpool, only a little bit worse. <laughs> and that we... We try and play the same way. They're dynamic front three, or you know, uh, you know, very attacking players on the field, um, full of energy and you know, high pace. But we're just obviously not got the same players as as Liverpool, so they're not going to be. They know that they're they're going to come at them, and you know, they gave them a scare in the last game. So uh, be intriguing to see see what happens. Let's focus on the Women's Super League right now. And Chelsea, Molly scored twice in three second half minutes to come from behind and beat fellow title contenders Manchester City 2-1. Chelsea, of course, replied to Carolyn Weir's opener with goals from Beth England and Maren Yelda to clinch their seventh win in eight league games this season. You were at this one, weren't you? I was, yes. Um, How much did that win do you think show 
the character that is in the Chelsea team right now? I think it's probably in in such a competitive division as as all of the managers have kind of said in in recent weeks. It's that mentality that probably just gives Chelsea the edge at the moment. I think they've they've came from behind and ended up winning two one against both Arsenal and Manchester City. And for those that don't watch the Women's Super League regularly, there is there is a bit of a divide. There are those top teams that it's almost like a mini league where mm. it's so so important that you pick up points and you know if possible wins against those teams and that's what Chelsea have done so well in this first round of those fixtures so I think you know Emma Hayes praised it yesterday that even when they went 1-0 down they have this mentality where they still think they're going to win and they know they have the the players capable of that and for me what I think is so exciting about Chelsea and probably makes them slight favourites is not only have they got a game in hand at the minute Arsenal are top of the table but also they're playing with confidence and they've got Sam Kerr to mm. come in January who mm. she was voted um, player of the year, uh, best player in the world by, by the Guardian's top 100 list. She probably is the best forward in the world up there with Vivian Medina who obviously we see at Arsenal and when you think of that forward line and how well they're playing without Sam Kerr and then add her in, I don't think there's a defence in the division that isn't going to be a little bit worried. <laughs> uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because obviously Chelsea now remain unbeaten and, and you rightly pointed out this as that, that mini league at the top of the table and they've come away with the with six points taking on Arsenal and Manchester City. Sam Kerr joins in January. Everyone's going to be quaking, aren't they, when when she joins and, and then, they have, then they have to face Chelsea? It's going to be such an exciting second half of the season with, with Miedemar in like pretty much the best form of her career for Arsenal. Scored again um, at the weekend. Sam Kerr coming in. And actually, you obviously Manchester City have historically done so well against Chelsea. So this weekend, it was the first time that Chelsea had beaten them in the league since 2014. But it's like they have a game plan. They have, I think Nick Cushy, the manager, talked after the game about the fact that what they do so well is that they're aggressive and they they believe they can win, they're committed and they only really played like that when they were 2-1 down. But that's almost all they can do because they don't have a, a player of that world-class talent. I mean, they have Ellen White, who was a fantastic signing for Manchester City. She barely got the ball yesterday. They They don't really have the players to get her into the game and that's where City have kind of struggled this season, even though they're right up there still at the top of the table. They've kind of struggled with that creativity and and um, just that, that strength in depth that Chelsea have. I mean, Frank Kirby wasn't even in the squad. She had a virus. And they just had so many attacking players that they were able to to bring on. And Hayes was, was delighted with Drew Spence coming off the bench. He's another player that's been in great form for them, but can't actually get in the starting eleven because the, the quality is so high. You mentioned um, Vivian Miedemar. She obviously was on the score sheet yet again for Arsenal as they beat Reading 3-0. She's continuing that incredible goal-scoring form that you've already alluded to. 12 goals already for her this season. Do you think anyone will be able to pip her to the golden boot? I don't think so. I think Hmm. we we were talking about this the other day and the prospect of Kerr coming in, obviously, and we're we're expecting great things from her and probably similar kind of stats to what Miedemar's producing, but... Kerr also takes penalties where Kim Little takes them for Arsenal. But I think it's hard to look past Miedemar for for this season's golden boot. I mean, it'll be just all at war next season <laughs> when they're both starting from zero and uh, it'll, be, it'll be great fun, I think, for the league. 
Yeah, it certainly will put the league on the map. That's for sure, having Sam Kerr now joining as well. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Molly Hudson and Paul Joyce. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.